Creative Babble. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us are curious about where we came from. I know I thought I knew about my own ancestry and family history, and I was completely wrong. In fact, most of my family is from Portugal. I didn't know that. And nowadays, it's just so easy. You can just spit in a vial, put it in the mail, and in a couple weeks, this fancy app tells you everything you want to know about your DNA and your family history. David Barry, who you're going to hear from in just a second, was just as curious about his past. So my last name is Barry. It's not a super uncommon name. My father uh, grew up without really knowing his own father. He uh, he passed away, I think, when my father was six years old. And even prior to that, didn't have you know much of a relationship with him. I was like, you know what? I'm going to find out where Barry comes from. And I ordered the Ancestry.com DNA tests on those Christmas specials that they're always running. So he got one of the tests. And you know, I spit in the vial, I filled it up. And then he sent it in. Didn't really think much of it. A few weeks go by. And so I went into Ancestry.com and logged in and my results were there. And I was like, oh, okay. But as he was going through the results. Some things just didn't really add up. The first part was that I was apparently 56% European Jewish. And then the other half of me was a mix of German and Dutch and you know, scant parts of other things. The reason why this didn't make any sense was because David thought he was Italian. I did know that my grandmother was uh, was Italian and was, I believe, she had either been born there or her uh, or her parents had been born in Italy. So Italian definitely should have been there. Maybe my grandmother was born in Italy, but she wasn't Italian. You know, maybe the family came from somewhere else or whatever. All right. So these weren't the results he was expecting, but... In a way, he was rationalizing it, trying to explain it away. But then David got a match from a woman that he didn't know. And according to Ancestry.com, they were close enough to be first cousins, an aunt, or even a half-sibling. And you know, immediately I'm like, well, I'm sure she's not my half-sister. I'm sure she's not my aunt. I would probably know that. Maybe she's a first cousin. So I messaged her saying, hey, we're a very close, you know, DNA matched, you know, what, what do you know about your origins? Um, and she said, you know, in truth, I, I don't. I, I know that I was conceived through a sperm donor. I speak to my parents about it and they're aware uh, in the early going that this is something I've found, but they, you know, very politely were like, look, I don't, if this is a possibility, I don't think it's the rabbit's hole we should be going down and poking around. Like, I would prefer that you kind of, you know, left it there. And I was like, well, okay. So, But curiosity is always going to get the better of me. So he started writing this woman letters, trying to put the pieces together. And then he got a sign, a sign that he couldn't ignore. You see, David's wife is adopted. And she has a sister who's also adopted. Follow me here for a second. But his wife's sister came into town to visit because she had some big news. And came over to tell my wife that she had found her biological half-sister and her biological father through an Ancestry.com DNA test. And so she's telling us, you know, how she put the pieces together and said, 
you know, this, this girl and I have X amount of centimorgans in common, which is a, a measure of shared DNA with somebody else. And those ranges put you in different potential categories of connections. So, you know, 500 would make you, you know, maybe a second or third cousin. She had shared 1100 centimorgans with this girl who she ultimately learned was her half sister. And immediately my mind starts spinning because I'm like, wait a second. According to Ancestry.com, David had an even stronger connection to this person who he was connected to on Ancestry than his wife's sister had to this newly discovered family member that she found. They had 1,100 centimorgans in common, but I had 1,500 with this, this girl uh, that I had you know, matched with, if you will, on Ancestry.com. That's interesting. It was, it was a little more than interesting because at that point I knew... I, I was very sure that someone was withholding something from me. I just didn't know what. Um, well, I mean, I guess it was obvious what. It was It was becoming eerily clear that I was a half-sibling of this woman. I just didn't know how, and I wasn't sure whose life I was going to blow up in, in figuring it out. Remember, his parents asked him to stop looking into this, but he couldn't help it. He was in way too deep. So this girl and I, we found an additional third-party website where you could upload your raw, da raw data from any third-party DNA site, and it would tell you if you shared maternal or paternal DNA, and then it would give you a breakdown of between the 23 chromosomes you know, in your own strand, which ones do you share common traits with, with somebody else. But we do remember very clearly that there was a third match, and we did a little sleuthing and realized that all three of us were born in Rochester, New York within 11 months of each other. And I, I immediately knew that whatever growing suspicions I had, I, I, there was something there that I wasn't being told. I told my parents again, you know, that night what I had uncovered. And I even gave them an opportunity. I'm like, look, I, I believe I'm not being told something and I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but I'm like, this is the information that I have. And we went to bed that night and the, the next night my father texted me as I was leaving my boxing gym and he asked if I was home and if I could talk, I knew something was up. And I got in the car and I called him and I said, what's, you know, what's going on? And he said, I know you've been really looking into this DNA stuff for, you know, information about, you know, my father, but uh, you're not going to find it. And he told me, you know, you're not my biological son. His father explained that they were trying to start a family, but they were having a lot of trouble. Well, the part that they left out was that in order to actually start a family, they had to, to seek the help of a, a sperm donor. On today's episode, we're going to talk about one man who's responsible for fathering God knows how many people. David Barry is going to put on his detective hat and try to find all his half-siblings to piece together the mystery of their lives. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else.
picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. It made all the sense in the, the world for these pieces I was trying to fill in. It was as earth shattering a discovery as you could make. Right. That's the equivalent, I would imagine, of finding out you're adopted or right. you know, that kind of revelation could be right. pretty traumatic, I, I would imagine. It, it was. So I you know, was raised with a, a younger sister who's uh, just about six years younger than me. And she and I are very, very close. And, you know, one of the first thoughts that I had was, I was like, all right, well, if they used a sperm donor for me, there's probably no doubt that they used one for her. And they confirmed that that was the case. So it was also going to be a revelation to her. And there was also the question of whether or not she and I were from the same donor. And to this day, we don't know that answer. Um, my sister, you know, has opted not to go down this rabbit's hole that I accidentally went down. I know who my father is, and it's, it's the man who raised me and, and loved me. I can't even imagine everything that's going through your head, but you're not going to stop your investigation now. So I met all these people who share the same DNA as I do, or like, you know, are biologically connected to me. And they're all mm -hmm. from Rochester. But I mean, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. And I would probably jump to the conclusion that, well, maybe there's a guy who donates a lot you know, in the Rochester area. Yeah. I, what, what immediately crossed my mind was more or less that I'm like, okay, there's, there's three within 11 months. It seemed feasible. All of our parents were told is that the donors that we were the products of would have been resident physicians at the university of Rochester. Odds are that was, you know, our biological father. So I'm thinking, all right, well, for a couple, you know, two to three, sometimes four years, physicians are in residency. So yeah, I, I could see that it would be feasible at a a student would donate over the course of a year. Again, you're, you're using Occam's razor, right? Like the, the simplest path to the explanation is the one that makes the most sense, or at least I thought it was. And then, you know, things started to, to spin out of control about a year later. <laughs> so I had to be in, in uh, New York City where one of my half siblings lives. It felt like I was asking a, a girl out on a first date almost. I was like, hey, I'm going to be here. Like, I don't know how you feel about all this, but would you want to like meet up for a drink or something? And he said, yeah. And then our, our half sister was like, wait, if you guys are both going to be there, then like, why don't I meet you there too? And so two weeks after this discovery, the three of us met each other in person in, in New York. I'm sure you've been asked this question, but it's a personal curiosity. Like, do you see similarities, like physical similarities between your siblings? Yeah. I mean, some more than, you know, than others, but I remember when I met Morgan, so funny enough, I had, and she was the first one, you know, I ever saw in person and we, you know, we hugged, you know, like movie scene hug, you know, everything like just, you know, so great to meet her. 
and she, you know, steps back, you know, I'm still like, we're still holding each other. And she like immediately starts like grabbing my face. And she's like, your face, your, your, your face is on my face. Like it was, <laughs> it was that she and I look a, a lot alike. And then, you know, we immediately flew to New York there and our half brother, we, we knew where he lived. So we were walking up, you know, the street kind of like, you know, looking to find the, the address, but then there was a, you know, so a guy standing on, uh, or rather sitting on, you know, some front steps of a building and, you know, stands up and turns toward us. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have light eyes and crow's feet, you know, around that, those smile, you know, marks. And he immediately like had all of those things, the same jawline. I was just like, Oh my gosh. Um, it was disorienting to, you know, to meet my half sister, but it was really disorienting to meet him because he and I are, you know, 10, 10 months apart built, you know, same height, same features. Like we're very clearly brothers. That's crazy. Uh, and that's, yeah, that is really wild. <laughs> Both of David's half-siblings already knew that they were conceived through a sperm donor. So that was not news to them. As it turns out that all three of our mothers, after asking my parents, they went to the same fertility doctor. Again, not a huge surprise, you know, given Rochester not being a, a huge city. And then almost exactly a year later, funny enough, the night before, we had gotten all three of our families to meet together in person in Rochester, New York. It was just incredible. One of the most still to this day, one of the happiest nights of my entire life. And the next morning, I wake up for, uh, to a text message from our half-brother saying, uh, there's another one. He had matched with uh, a woman on 23andMe and did some quick sleuthing, saw same Rochester, New York, within 11 months to a year of us. And it became clear all like very quickly that there was something not as sweet and you know romantic, if you will, about our story. Now there's five of us in the same city. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's five, yeah. right? <laughs> born, born within a year of each other. Like there's something not right going on. I mean, just stop and think about this for a second. All these siblings are growing up in the same area of Rochester. I mean, it's possible that they could become friends, possibly form relationships and get married. I mean, ew. and But the numbers continued to, to rack up over the next 18 months. By then, there was uh, another half-brother who turned out to be a middle school classmate of mine. And then a, a few months after that, another half-brother who <laughs> thankfully none of us had any you know, previous connections to. And it, so I think there were you know nine or, or ten at this point. Nine or ten siblings that he knew of. But David didn't want to just stop here. I'm, I'm going to figure this out. Like I, I don't want this as an unanswered question in my life. So I was thankfully connected to a team called DNA Angels. And in this world, I've learned a lot about, you know, being donor conceived. They are like DNA detectives. They take DNA and examine it a little bit closer, try to figure out places of birth, ports of entry, you know, that kind of thing. After, you know, 10 or so half siblings, we discovered that all of our mothers had gone to the same fertility doctor. The doctor in question here is Dr. Morris Wartman, who operates an OBGYN office in Rochester, New York. It was it was a suspicion. I couldn't you know prove it or anything like that. And they said, look, we can confirm that five generations ago on your paternal side, you have a, a biological connection to him. There would be no way to confirm it unless you got someone who was, you know, like a first generation of his to take a DNA test. As it happens, he has, you know, three known daughters that he's raised. And they had, you know, pulled up the contact information for one of them and said, if you can get her, you know, her to agree to take a DNA test, then, you know, that's going to be your path to an answer. 
meaning if if she if she were to take a DNA test, which was a, a huge leap, and we were to, we were to come back as a match for half siblings, then that would confirm you know what we believe that our biological father was the fertility doctor, and I I make a call and I'm expecting. Look, when I get a phone call from a number I don't know, I immediately send it to voicemail. Right. And and if I, you know, hear a voice message and it's like, you know, a little out there or not interesting, like I'm not even that good at responding. So that's what I was prepared for. I was gonna leave a voice message. Instead, she picked up. <laughs> David Barry explained who he was and why he was calling, and he told her that he has evidence to prove that they might be related. And she agreed to take a DNA test. That's incredible because you're coming out of nowhere yeah. accusing her father it would have put me in a de- defensive position so right it, it was incredible that she actually went along with it. it was well you know and as it turns out she she had discovered you know my blog the following day and you know doubled down she's like look if if this is true what you're suspecting then like you deserve to know and i want to know too So when the results came in, David and Dr. Morton's sister hopped on a video conference call so that they could see the results together. When we come back, David is going to find out conclusively if Dr. Wortman is his father or not. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. David had reached out to one of Dr. Wartman's daughters to see if she would be willing to give a DNA sample so that they could conclusively know whether Dr. Wartman was in fact the father of all these children. It was one of those, you know, like high drama movie scenes where you, you hear the music in the background type of thing. And, you know, I opened the, the PDF and scrolled down and we were a 99.99% match as half siblings. And it confirmed that her biological father, our mother's fertility doctor, had, had fathered all of us. I want to say the quote unquote youngest was born in 87 and the oldest was born in 82. I was born in 84. So I was like okay. right, right in the middle. But remember, these are only the siblings who they know of, the ones who have actually taken a DNA test. Most people haven't done an ancestry DNA test, so God knows how many siblings are actually out there. And that's just very you know, probable. The second part is the, the age range that we might discover could be you know, much greater than, than what we thought. Yeah. And to your knowledge, from what you've been able to gather, how many siblings total have you discovered? I think if you count his known children, um, you know, children that he raised in his own family, plus the half siblings that we found through commercial DNA tests, I think the number is 15. I think it's 16 (laughs) now come to think of it with one that we just found out a few weeks ago. So yeah, I expect that those numbers will, you know, will continue to go up. So now you've kind of zeroed in on Dr. Wartman, right? Yep. And you now have 
tangible evidence that he is your biological father. Where do you go from there? Like, what do you do next? That's I'm still figuring that out. I have one of the better outcomes. And what I mean by that is I was raised by, by two parents who, who've loved me unequivocally my entire life. I have siblings who, whose parents were already gone uh, by the time that they made this discovery and they can't ask questions and they can't reconcile some of that. I have uh, siblings who were not raised in, in loving families, uh, one in particular who was bounced around the foster care system and some who you know have both parents but don't have great relationships with them. My half-sister, uh, the first one that I matched with, was a gynecological patient of Dr. Wartman's under his care for, for close to nine years. And there is no doubt in my mind that he knew the entire time. She notified him at their first you know, appointment that, you know, hey, your your mother, I'm sorry, my mother was, you know, a part of your practice and you're really revered in our family because you helped, you know, create me. My my family's always spoken really highly of you. And, you know, I'm I'm here because of of your help with, you know, with my family. And so immediately in that first, you know, appointment, he's aware of of who she is in the context of of that relationship. And then as more, you know, revelations come out, um, like, hey, I, you know, I found, you know, two half brothers. Uh, hey, there's, you know, there's more of us. Um, you know, the number's up to nine or ten or whatever. At this point, there's zero doubt in in his mind or or my mind that he knew exactly who he was dealing with. That this was, you know, one of his biological children. And you know, I don't assume that he inseminated all of his patients. But as this was happening, your half sister is telling her gynecologist, which is, you know, Dr. Wartman, that mm-hmm. she's going through this discovery process. Correct. So he's yeah. aware of this. Like he's aware. I, mean, I, w- I would imagine that he might be freaking out because at the time when he was donating sperm or impregnating all these women, like <laughs> right. he'd never in his wildest dream probably thought that ancestry.com was going to be a thing. Right. Right. And I can't imagine, you know, a lot of people do, right. Like my parents they had no way of predicting that one day you'd be able to spit, you know, in a vial and send it through the mail and figure this all out too. In the same way, I'm sure he didn't as a physician. At some point, he was unequivocally clear in my mind that he was her biological father and he continued to provide care to her. And can you believe it? Dr. Wartman is still practicing today. Well, his troubles aren't over because David's half-sister has filed a civil lawsuit against him in the state of New York. You know, he, he violated her uh, and removed her, her choice to, uh, to you know, abstain from care from him, knowing you know, full well that he was her biological father. She didn't have that luxury. She didn't know. And, you know, a gynecological office is, you know, not the place that, uh, you know, it's not just checking on, you know, I came in for a sinus infection. You know, this, these are highly invasive personal procedures that she was subjected to and as it turns out by her biological father a lot of people have an interest in this because of how unique it is but they are floored when they discover that what happened to our mothers and us as the product of it is not illegal in in new york state progress is being made I, i believe as of today there's only 13 or so states that have passed what's called fertility fraud legislation that would Number one, outlaw this practice, and number two, create measures where there can be, you know, remuneration for people who've been, you know, violated in this way. Legally, he uh, he hasn't actually done anything wrong. Now, when fertility fraud legislation is passed in a lot of states, they make these laws retroactive, 
David and his sister have worked closely with New York state senators, sharing their stories and trying to see if they could pass fertility fraud legislation in New York. And we're we're hopeful, we're optimistic that, you know, a state like New York, which is known for being progressive in, um, you know, a lot of social issues would see this as a no brainer. And, and frankly, you know, we've talked to both sides of the political aisle, you know, Republicans and Democrats. And there's this is one of those rare cases, especially now on this political climate, that everybody sees eye to eye on this. They know that this is a no-brainer. Because as unique as your story may seem to everyone listening to this, actually there were two other doctors in Rochester accused of doing the same thing, right? Yes. Yeah. And one of them is on record and being quoted there. And you know, not to put words in his mouth, but almost nonchalant about the fact that this was happening. And I'll read it to you because I thought, yeah, <laughs> you know, it actually I mean, I think everybody's first reaction is this is fraud. How dare he? What What was he on a power trip? Was he playing God? You know, but then when you read this quote, you kind of sort of have to step back in time and kind of understand the technology and and what was possible and what wasn't. But he says, I was a donor at one time, sometimes back in those days, before the days of fertility clinics, you couldn't get a hold of a donor and you were working with a patient who was looking to get pregnant. It wasn't exactly ethical, but it wasn't unknown to happen. He added, I assume other doctors did it, but no one ever talked about it. And, Hmm. And I think that some of the reasoning was that, you know, prior in the 70s, in the 80s, they didn't freeze sperm back then. No. Yeah. You which needed, is, yeah. You needed a fresh uh, sperm donor, right? Right. And, and, you know, funny enough, that's, you know, that was a story that was told, um, you know, to, to our mothers. And then, you know, my mother, she remembered that day that she ended up getting pregnant. She remembers, you know, Dr. Wartman saying, you know, we, we have a, a live, you know, a live donor. It'll be a fresh sample. I'm just going to go to the other room to get it. And I feel really confident that this is, is going to work. And, you know, now we know exactly why he was so confident. He'd already had success and, and he knew, you know, exactly what he was doing in, in those cases. And, you know, look, I've, I've asked this question of myself more than anybody, you know, like what are, what are the motivations everybody tends to want to put, right? I think everyone feels one way or the other. And I've, you know, I've read enough internet comments to know, <laughs> which is either this is egregious, you know, this guy should, you know, be in prison for the rest of his life. And the other side are, what are you so upset about? You're here and your biological father's a doctor, you know, like, so you got, you know, you're intelligent or whatever. I think that, you know, they, I believe in all sincerity that there probably was a care component, you know, that you want your patients to, to get their outcomes. But wrapped into that, I really do think that ego is a huge part of it. The all powerful knowing I can do this, um, I can succeed. And oh, by the way, like I, you know, my progeny are going to be, you know, great because I, I believe, you know, so much in myself that, you know, what woman wouldn't want my sperm. And I do believe that there's, um, you know, in, in the case of ours, in fact, that, you know, Dr. Wartman is the, is the son of Holocaust survivors. And I, I can't help but ignore, you know, the current state as I've you know, read through the news of the role that Judaism plays in his life for better or worse, that that might be a motivator for him in some ways to have, you know, that, that lineage, whether they're aware that they even have it or not, but to have that be a part of, you know, continuing on a bloodline that, that lost so many connections, I, I believe is another part. And the only person who could give you that answer in certainty is, is him. But um, I, I don't believe that that answer is, you know, ever coming to the satisfaction of anybody. Another motivation could be, you know, 
I have success after success after success. It's like he's showing his business is thriving. It's almost like almost like a monopoly on on childbirth. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point. And it's um it's never you never arrive at a place where you're happy with the answer. So I've entertained it from a, a theoretical perspective, but I'm never gonna be satisfied with the answer. And that's something that I have to carry. Part of it, it is what it is, right? Like this is your reality. This is your, all your half siblings' reality too. And I mean, I guess a silver lining in this is, is I would imagine, is being able to go from just having one sibling to having a lot of siblings. I bet, I bet you guys have like this, like crazy connection that nobody could really understand. Yeah, it's well. So that's partly true, and I would say at the same time, it's it's actually more complicated than that. I would say, you know, in, in one sense, there's an immediate intimacy with uh, these people because you know we're all experiencing something that so few people will ever experience. You know, like I I can tell people about it, but they just don't know what it's you know what it really feels like. So in that sense, you have you know a built-in support group in a lot of ways. But the the challenges as the numbers rise is you give so much of yourself in an emotional capacity to you know the new the new members if you will so you know morgan and and our half brother the first you know quote unquote three of us it was just us for a year and so our connection you know grew and deepened based on our our assumption at the time that it was just three of us and then you start to add in others and then you know by the time the numbers get to seven or eight or nine it's a lot of an emotional undertaking to try to provide that level of emotional vulnerability to every new person who joins your group. And in that sense, I know I got lucky that I was one of the first three and I do sympathize with the half siblings who are, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, or whatever, because, you know, some of us have intentionally or not started to set up boundaries around ourselves on a personal level, because we still have to live our own lives. And that doesn't, I hope it doesn't mean you know ever coming across as you know rude or, or rejecting, but I know that it's interpreted that way at times. Unfortunately, you know I've, I've had conversations like that with some of my half siblings who feel like they've been rejected, and that's 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 hard. You can't sustain that the that cyclone of emotions for every time a news have. And I never even uh, while thinking about the story, I never even anticipated that because I'm mm-hmm. thinking, oh, this it would be awesome having nine brothers yeah. and sisters, but not it's not that simple, I guess. It's yeah, there there is you know an obvious plus side. Well, I don't maybe not obvious, but there is a plus side. You know, like you do have that connection. No one can undo it, and I think you know I've been cordial to every, you know, half sibling that I've met and and vice versa, but the relationships are, you know, are complex. And as I had mentioned, you know, some of them come from environments where, you know, they didn't have siblings or even a good family background to stand on. So they're coming into this, hoping to fill a void that may not be reciprocated in the way that they're hoping for. And, you know, that's, that's hard. I, I, to the extent that I can, I sympathize with them and I, but I also know that at the end of the day, I have you know my own family that I, right. I need to provide emotional energy for, and it's it's not easy. That's been one of the un, unintended you know challenges of of this is is knowing you can't be everything to everybody. And I have yeah. one brother, and it's it's hard to <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it's hard yes. to to keep up, and I can't imagine with nine. Do you have any interest in knowing Doctor Wartman? No, I. I I have, you know, everything that that I could want, you know, I and I'm not going to gain more by trying to get, you know, any sort of relationship out of him. Like there's, I, you know, I have my family and I know who that is. I think by the time the test results came in, you know, on the, 
confirming that Dr. Wharton was my biological father was like a week and a half before my wife gave birth to, to our son. And like the weird emotions that I felt, you know, like holding him for the first time were just, it was the ultimate moment of everything crashing into you all at once. And I, I did some real ugly crying that day. <laughs> well, I can't imagine you're holding the future of your genes and your family history. And then you're also looking backwards and discovering, you know, like these two unknowns that, that must have been very confusing. It, yeah. it was, it, and it's still disorienting, you know, like as much as I want to separate myself from, you know, from Dr. Wartman, like I can't ignore that a lot of you know who I am, and if I have a you know decent enough self-image and you know living my life happily, I I have to recognize that a, a big part of that is because of him, and you know, and but at the same time, whether I liked it or not, I can't undo it, and and his DNA is also in my son, and I can't undo that, and I, I you know, I don't spend a lot of time being introspective about it, but I'm I will think about that for the rest of my life, and. Um, I don't know that I'll ever have a resolution or an explanation that makes me, you know, feel good about it. But I also know that I have no control over it, and it, it is what it is. And just so you know, I actually reached out to Dr. Wartman's office, and he has yet to respond to my request for an interview. Just as I was working on this story, I noticed that Netflix just released a documentary on the same topic called Our Father, and it's about the same thing. So I suspect that with the advent of some of these DNA services, that we're going to learn about more cases just like this. I'd love to know what you think of the story. Uh, shoot me an email at Javier at pretendradio.org. Also, if you're on TikTok, guess what? So is this guy. Follow me at PretendPod. I'm giving it a shot. It's I feel super silly doing it, but uh, I'm posting almost every day. So follow me on TikTok. I would love to know what you think. And did I tell you that John Taylor, my co-host from Criminal Conduct, and I are going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival in Dallas this August. For more information, see the show notes. Creative Babble.